0: Hello, welcome to Years of Hurt, a Euro 2020 podcast. So the round of 16 has proved to be a roller coaster ride of emotions. That was even before the England game. What a couple of days it's been. We've had some big shocks, lots of goals, some dodgy defending, and so much drama. I'm Richard Carrion in this special live edition of the Years of Hurt podcast. I'll be bringing you my thoughts and analysis on England versus Germany, Wales versus Denmark, Croatia versus Spain, France vs. Switzerland, Netherlands vs. Czech Republic, Italy versus Austria, and Belgium vs. Portugal. Plus, if you're listening to the podcast version, you'll also get my thoughts on Sweden versus Ukraine, which is about to kick off just shortly after the time of recording. Why not get involved on Twitter today and let us know what you thought of the England game at Rose on Twitter? Or comment in the Twitch chat and I'll read out the best comments later on. Let's get to results now from the last 16. Wales 0. Denmark 4. Italy 2. Austria 1. Netherlands 0. Czech Republic 2. Belgium 1. Portugal 0. Croatia 3. Spain 5. And that was after extra time. France 3. Switzerland free. Switzerland won 5 4 on penalties. And England 2. Germany nil. Sweden 1. Ukraine 2 after extra time. Sterling. He's still turkey enough. Kane. Grealish. Shaw. Across for Sterling! So we start with England versus Germany, a big match on any occasion. The broadcasters were more than happy to trot out the footage of previous matches between the two, from the 1966 World Cup final to Italia 90 to un 96 to that magical night in Munich 20 years ago when England beat Germany 5-1. But things haven't always gone well on home soil. Out of the 12 matches played between the two at Wembley, Germany have won seven of them. Would the Germans continue their good run in English soil despite a wobbly progression for the group stage? Or perhaps the optimism of football coming home would grow if Southgate's men could pull off an historic win in front of their own fans? So in the match, Sterling had a shot from distance on his right, but a good save from Neuer denied him. Havertz played the ball through to Werner, but Pickford made himself big to block the shot. Muller gave the ball away to Sterling. His darting run ended with the ball falling to Kane. He got round the keeper, but Hummels intercepted to get it away. Perhaps he should have taken it first time and just nicked it past the keeper. In the second half, Gossens crossed it in. Havertz walloped it, and it was a great safe and pick for that ball was coming at him at quite a pace. Good stuff. Then Kane played it to Grealish, onto Shaw. His low cross was met by Sterling, and into the back of the net, Wembley absolutely erupted 1 0 to England, and it's Sterling's third goal on the Euros. What a goal, what a moment for English football. But Sterling almost went from hero to villain as he gave the ball away to Havertz. Muller went one on one with Pickford, but shockingly, he put it wide. And I think he'd beaten the keeper, he just got it wide. It was an absolute shocker that didn't go in. Then Germany gave the ball away, Shaw won the ball in midfield, he played it wide to Grealish, he chipped the ball into the box for Harry Kane, his header made it 2-0. It's Kane's first goal at the Euros and what a time to get it. At full time it finished England 2, Germany 0. Some people might want to start the football's coming home chance but there's still a long way to go. But this was an historic win for England. It's England's first knockout win against Germany since the 1966 World Cup final. And it was really well-deserved. You know, one thing I would say about England, very controlled performance, very assured performance, actually kind of dominated the game, really. If you look at possession stats, Germany had slightly more of the possession, but there wasn't really much in it. So England really showed themselves to be actually quite dominant. And Germany didn't get a lot of clear-cut chances. Although it always felt like if you gave Germany a few too many chances like they wouldn't need as many chances as England basically to score so Saka actually started the game for England but when Grealish came on it really seemed to just add something to the attack and that's what got us those two important goals and Shaw of course darting forward I I think Southgate got it bang on with his tactics I know people were criticizing that he was playing a little bit too defensive because he didn't have an attacking midfielder he was playing five at the back with Walker uh, Stones, uh, Stones and Maguire as a back free and then Shaw and Trippier as wing-backs and it actually worked pretty damn perfectly to be honest you know, I think Calvin Phillips had a great game as well Declan Rice as well they really dominate the midfield and I think the, the actual system worked really well and definitely made it very difficult for Germany to break down the English side And England now are the only team in the tournament to have not conceded any goals and have not conceded any goals in four games. That's pretty damn good. People are getting this stat out that, you know, it hasn't happened since 66, so we must win. But I think it's very important to remember there's still three matches to go. Yes, the draw is falling (laughs) rather favourably, if I can get that out. But you have to take these things one game at a time. It's very exciting to beat Germany. And usually, at a tournament for England, you get this one game when England play really well, and then it goes to pot afterwards. So Let's hope the afterwards bit doesn't come. As for Germany, pretty a uh, disappointing um, exit from the competition. Really quite lucky to even be in the second round, to be honest. This kind of reminds me of Germany round about the sort of 2002 World Cup, where although they even got to the final of that competition, the early 2000s, Germany just wasn't as good as that sort of late 90s one or sort of the 90s um, squad that obviously won the Euros and Italia 90. So so I think they're going to need a lot of rebuilding. Joachim Lowe is going to leave. I can see him once again building like building up like they did back when Klingsman took over all those years ago. Um, you can see them rebuilding and obviously probably beating England down the line. So I'm sure for them it's not the, the last we've heard of them, let's just say that. But it does show something a lot of maturity about this England side to actually beat Germany. Not really think about the history of it. Everyone keeps banging on about the history. But overall, it is just literally what's in front of you, isn't it? It's the team in front of you at the time. England were probably kind of lucky they played, they played this kind of Germany. It certainly wasn't the team they played you know, 11 years ago when they got pretty much trounced 4-1, really. So yeah, really impressive win for England. I was uh, jumping up and down all the goals, very exciting stuff, we're still in it, is it coming home? Well, actually England are going away because they have to go to Rome for the quarterfinal match, it's the only match that's going to be away from Wembley, I wonder how that will affect them and obviously if they do get back to the semi-finals and possibly the final they will be at Wembley, so England could potentially have six games out of seven at Wembley which obviously helps them. But I think I wonder whether the travel will affect them at all. Maybe not. I'm kind of glad that my prediction in this case went wrong because I, I was sort of thinking I couldn't predict against Germany just because of the history. But actually, this England side has shown it doesn't matter. It's all about the now. It's all about playing well. And I think it was a really good moment at Wembley to have that. And it's a big win and probably Southgate's biggest win. And obviously, he gets a little bit of revenge for what happened at Euro 96. So good on him. Sinchenko with the cross! Ukraine of wonics! Ukraine of wonics! Om oh, as a substitute, the young man gets the goal! What a moment for Ukraine! But who would face England in the quarterfinals? That question would be answered in the final round of sixteen game as Sweden took on Ukraine. The Ukrainians barely scraped through the group stage thanks to Slovakia's bad goal difference and only three points. Sweden had been impressive with a strong defence and attacking threat coming from Isak and Forsberg. With seven points out of nine they topped Group E. Would the Swedes continue this impressive run? So Yarmuchuk played the ball across to Yarmolenko but his shot was saved. Yarmolenko played it across to Zinchenko. I think he meant to do that but it looked like it was a bit of a scuffed shot. Sinchenko slammed the ball into the net to make it 1-0 to Ukraine. Larsson tried a free kick from a long way out. He almost caught the keeper out, but Bushan got to it. Isak squared it to Forsberg. He clonked it with his left foot and rocketed it into the net. 1-1 and what an equaliser. In the second half, Yarmolenko played it back to Surachuk, and he hit the post. It was so close. Shortly after that, Isak played it to Forsberg. His right-footed curling shot also hit the post. The goals just aren't wide enough. Kulasevi had a good shot from outside the box on the right, but it was well saved by Bushan. Another curling shot from Forsberg from outside the box, but he hit the bar this time. And at full time, it was Sweden 1, Ukraine 1. In extra time, Danielsson tackled Besseden and was awarded a yellow card. He got the ball, but his challenge came in very high on Besseden. After a VAR review, the yellow was upgraded to a red. Sweden were down to 10 men. So would they be able to hang on until penalties? In stoppage time of the second half of extra time, Zinchenko crossed it in from the left and it was met by the head of Dobrik who put it past the keeper. 2-1 Ukraine scored by a guy who wasn't even supposed to be in the Ukraine squad. After extra time it finished Sweden 1, Ukraine 2. This was a pretty even match and things got very gritty in extra time where there were loads of fouls and everyone was going down. Bestedin had to be helped off the pitch, Sweden were down to nine men at one point, it was becoming like a war zone. Like a match we'll talk about later, the red card was the turning point. Denielson got a bit unlucky in my opinion, because he had to have his leg there to make the tackle. It was a bit of an accident if anything, but rules are rules I suppose. England should worry about Ukraine's attacking threat, particularly from Zinchenko down the left-hand side, who scored the first goal and set up the second. The free lines will have to be strong in the air if they want to deal with all those crosses. I would also recommend Jack Grealish maybe invest in some shin guards, because there might be a few hefty tackles in Rome. Overall, the round of 16 ended with a less exciting match than perhaps some of the others, but it did feature a goal that scored after 130 minutes of football. If only Forsberg had got one of his chances in the second half, we could have been looking at a very different result. We're going to move on now to Wales versus Denmark. Pratt right here running up on good turn of pace as well, he put that into an awkward area, it's a terrible clearance, it's 2-0, and it's Kasper Dolberg again for Denmark. The Welsh are protesting about the earlier foul that wasn't given, but Denmark and Dolberg have two, and Wales have a massive problem now. So Wales had performed better in the group stages, they had four points out of nine in Group A after a win against Turkey and a draw against Switzerland. Denmark just about escaped Group B after a win against Russia, but had difficult circumstances in their first game due to the collapse of Christian Eriksen. Despite only getting three points out of nine, Denmark looked like the informed side going into the last 16. So in the match, Ramsey passed it to Bale. His long-range left-footed shot just swung wide of the goal. Damsgaard held up the ball, laid it off to Dolberg, and his cracking right-footed shot was found in the bottom corner. 1-0 to Denmark. There was a lovely one too between Delaney and Damsgaard. Damsgaard drilled it across to Dolberg. He tried to flick it into the net, but Wall was in the way. After this, Mempan pushed him over and somehow got away with it. Maybe UEFA need to investigate that. In the second half, Bale played the through ball into Moore, and it looked like he was fouled by Kajir, Denmark picked up the ball, went up the other end, Braithwaite put it in with a low cross, Williams stuffed up the clearance, and it fell to Dolberg, who put the ball in the net to make it his second, 2-0 to Denmark. I think it was probably a foul or more, but that was horrible defending from Wales. James crossed it in from the byline, Bale just managed to get the header on, but the ball went wide. Jensen clipped the ball into the far post, it almost ended up in the net, and Ward was scrambling there a little bit. Jensen crossed it into Dolberg. His downward header was denied by a good save from Ward and somehow Braithwaite didn't score the follow-up as he hit the post. Marley had a ton of time on the right-hand side of the Wales box. He put the ball on his left foot and drilled it in to make it 3-0 Denmark. Where the hell were the Wales defence there? On the right-hand side Marley was taken down with a horrible late tackle by Wilson. It was a straight red card. Robbie Savage on BBC commentary was trying to say it shouldn't have been a red, but he really made no attempt to get the ball and was far behind it. So I think it deserved to be a sending off really. Marley chipped it into Dolberg. He laid it off for Braithwaite who tucked it past Ward. There was a hint of a side about the decision, so it went to VAR and crisis one was close, but VAR has been deciding these ones on the position of the tacking players' feet, and Braithwaite's feet were in line with the last defender. So the goal was given. Well, at least they're consistent with their decisions. It wouldn't have made much difference, really, but at full time it finished Wales 0, Denmark 4. From a Wales point of view, they might count themselves a little bit lucky it was only 4 0. Let's just have a look at the stats. <laughs> Wales had 11 shots, but only one on target, whereas Denmark had 16 shots, 8 on target, and half of them were goals. Wales committed 11 fouls compared to Denmark's 8, and out of only three red cards in the Euro so far, actually it's four now, Wales have two of them. I know Wales' national sport is rugby and all, but they really need to calm it down. It took a few great saves from Ward and a little bit of luck to stop this match from being 6-7-0. or Wales were ragged in defence, they didn't seem to have much of a defence at all down the left hand side. The clearance from Williams for the second goal was terrible. They simply couldn't cope with a trio of Marley, Dolberg, and Jensen who ran rings around them, really. It felt like Denmark has a lot of momentum now. There's talk of them going on a Euro 92 style run and winning the whole thing again. They're going to have a very tasty quarter final match, that's guaranteed. They seem to have a lot of options when it comes to attacking threat, along with the trio I mentioned. They also have Damsgaard, who set up the first goal, Braithwaite, who scored the fourth, and they didn't even have Poulsen on the pitch, who scored two in Denmark's final game because he was injured. There have been complaints from Wales that had to do too much travelling, more than some of the teams in the tournament. Denmark played all their group games in Copenhagen before travelling to Amsterdam for the last 16 Whereas Wales had to go to Baku for their first two matches before moving to Rome for their match against Italy, then on to Amsterdam. You can see they were a bit tired in this match. I can sympathise with these protests maybe a little, but I've got to say they're not the only ones. When we look at Switzerland, they had the worst travel schedule than Wales, so they had to go from Baku to Rome, back to Baku, and then on to Bucharest. And we'll talk about how they got on a little bit later. I do think it was perhaps a mistake with this format that they decided all the last 16 grounds in advance when you think you've got so many host nations in there, why can't you just assign one each like, for each match? There's also the carbon footprint factor of it as well. Overall, though, I feel Wales were outclassed by the better side and travel or no travel, they would have lost either way. So it's time for another round of your Dream 11s. This is where I ask you to come up with a team of 11 players from different worlds. And a few days ago on Twitter, I asked for a dream 11 of superheroes. So, Only Connect Wrestling with Gene Gray Gold, Goal, Hawkeye's right back, Hulk and the Thing as centre backs, Drudge, Judge Dredd, if I can say it, at left back, Storm and right midfield, the two captains, America and Britain, in centre mid blade left me left wing dr stranger batman up front and he says i think telekinesis for a goalkeeper could be beneficial i can see that yes you can trick your trick the strikers into not scoring hawkeye's there for set pieces. Obviously, obviously ping the ball in as well two captains control the middle of the park and batman owns the club so paid for his place in the starting lineup and i could definitely see batman as one of those horrible sort of oligarch owners who want to join the european super League." Ben Emerson went for the thing in goal. Black Panther, right back. Martian Manhunter and Luke Cage as centre-backs. Iron Fist as left-back. Captain America is attacking mid. Spider-Man is centre-mid. I personally would put Spider-Man in goal because he can just you know, web, web the ball all the time. Human Torch centre-mid. I'd probably put him in defence because, you know, you just torch everyone. Defensive mid-blade. And up front, Superman and Batman. Well, that's a strong attacking front, isn't it? But one's actually invulnerable. And main event candles came up with both a team of superheroes and a team of footballers that sound like superheroes so let's hear that team of footballers so here in goal, sea man sort of like an aquaman spin off winter burn zoomer dunk Benger. well that kind of sounds like a character from futurama there mcmanor man speed and button with <laughs> speed look man grease man and rush oh hang on Speed and Rush, they seem like the same sort of superhero. You've just got speed about them. Is that that correct? Am I correct in saying that? And personally, I would have put the Austrian keeper Batman in gold myself. He actually inspired this entire segment. So thank you for those superhero 11s. Some very entertaining suggestions there. If you've got any more superhero, even supervillain 11s, tweet them to us at yohheroes.com. Using the hashtag Dream11. So gripping, Benavi on by Pashovic. Now Olsic. Chance We're on to Croatia versus Spain, which on paper looked like it'd be one of the ties of the round. This last 16 tie was set up thanks to Croatia's 3-0 win against Scotland and Spain's 5-0 thrashing of Slovakia. Croatia and Spain have met twice at the Euros and have one win apiece, but those were both group games, so who would come out on top in the most significant meeting ever? Well, Pedri played the ball through to Coke, but he hit it straight at the keeper. There was yet another own goal! Pedri tried to pass it back to the keeper from 45 yards out. The ball bobbled horribly and Simon failed to control it. It went into the net. 1-0 Croatia. It's the ninth own goal of the Euros. And before this tournament, there'd only been nine own goals in Euros history. They've doubled that tally now. The ball zinged around the Croatia box. It looked like there might be a handball. Then the ball found to guy whose shot was saved, But Sarabia stuck it in. 1-1. In the second half, a cross came in from Fernand Torres. Asper headed it in to make it 2-1 to Spain. Asper first goal for Spain and an important one at that, but I'm not sure what he was doing in the box considering he's a right-back. Garvidal had a shot and tried to level it for Croatia, but Simón saved to his left. Spain had a free kick in her own half. Paul Torres levered it with a great pass. Garvidal was caught napping. Fernand Torres picked up the ball and slotted it past the keeper. 3-1 Spain and it looked like they had the game in the bag. But hang on a second. Modric squared it. There was an absolute scramble in the box. Orsic thought he got it over the line. And he had. Gold line technology paid off. The ball was over the line when keeper Simon tried to clear it. 3-2 now. Then Orsic got the ball on the left. Crossed it in beautifully on his right foot. Palasic was strong in the air. The Spain defence was not. And he headed it into the net with two minutes in stoppage time to make it What a game. At full time, it was Croatia free, Spain free, so we needed extra time. In the first half of extra time, Orsic played it into the box. Spain failed to clear it. It fell to Kramaric, whose shot was saved by Simon. Perhaps a little bit of redemption for the keeper from his own goal earlier on. Almo played the ball in from the right. It fell to Morata, who controlled it with his right and levered it with his left and into the net. A confident strike to make it 4-3 to Spain. That's one way to shut your critics up. There's another great ball in from the right by Olmo. Osjazzarbo got it this time, but put it in the bottom left corner of the net. 5-3 Spain. Surely that should be it, right? In the second half of extra time, Palisic played the ball through to Bodomir and his shot went just wide. Bloody hell, if that went in, we'd be in for a very interesting climax. But after extra time, it was Croatia 3, Spain 5. Woo! An incredible and at times bizarre game of football. End-to-end stuff, particularly towards the end of the match. It was a little exhausting at times, to be honest. Croatia's comeback at the end was damn epic, you know. Spain has to be criticised, though, for some dodgy defending, particularly in the air. Their centre-backs were run ragged. I was really impressed by Orsic for Croatia, who gave Spain a lot of problems down that left-hand side. He set up the third goal and scored the second to get the game into extra time. Spain has now scored ten goals in two games. The first side in Euros history to score five goals in consecutive matches. They'll probably be a bit relieved those goals came in extra time, as I don't think they'd fancy themselves on penalties. They already missed two at this tournament already. Simon turned from villain to hero save in extra time that could have put Croatia in the lead. It's that own goal from 45 yards out, and if it had gone in the other end, it would have been a screamer. So an absolute classic game, and perhaps we should be thankful for the defensive frailties at both ends as they made this so entertaining. Both teams played high-tempo pass-and-move football, Spain only had two thirds of the possession, which is less than usual. I'm looking forward to seeing Spain's attractive style of football again in the quarter-finals. Zverevich is there, and it's getting Switzerland in front. Surprise, surprise! Harris Zverevich scores the opening goal of the game. So we move on to France versus Switzerland. The French conquered the group of death as they managed to finish first in the group with a win over Germany and draws against Hungary and Portugal. Switzerland got through thanks to the goal-scoring prowess of star man Shakiri. His two goals in their final group game against Turkey helped the Swiss qualify as one of the best third-place teams. Now they'd face their old foes from across the border, France, with the reigning world champions going in as strong favourites. So Zuba found it on the left, Near the 18-yard box, he crossed it into Seferic, who headed it in. 1-0 Switzerland, how about that? Zuba's fourth assist of the Euros. Get him in your fantasy teams before it's too late. Rabiot had a shot from distance for France, but it just went wide. In his second half, there was another great run from Zuba down the left. He was brought down the box by Pavard. They played on for a little bit, then the referee went over to his little screen. After the referee reviewed the footage, he gave a penalty. Ricardo Rodriguez stepped up to try and make it 2-0, but Laura saved with his low shot to the left. Apparently, Rodriguez missed two penalties before this as well, so maybe someone else should have taken it. The missed penalty seemed to be a turning point for France. Just two minutes later, Mbappe played it to Benzema. His control was superb and the finish was easy. 1-1 now. And just two minutes after that, Griezmann did a 1-2 with Mbappe. Sommer saved his initial shot. But it fell to Benzema, who headed it into an empty net. 2-1 to France. Benzema tried to make it a hat-trick with a shot, but it was blocked by Xhaka. But it fell to Pogba, who scored an absolute stunner. Curled it into the top corner from 30 yards out. Sensational. 3-1 France and Switzerland looked beaten. But the ball came to Mabubu on the right. He, his cross met the head of Seferic. Varane and Co have been struggling at the back with aerial balls and Switzerland made them pay. 3-2 now. Surely there couldn't be another comeback, right? Rodriguez drilled it in. It fell to the feet of Gravanovic and he put it into the net. But it's not free free. No, it was offside. But then Xhaka played the ball to Gravanovic. He wasn't offside this time. He skipped past the defender and stuck it in with his right foot in the 90th minute. Free free, And a really excitable Switzerland fan had his shirt off now. He was so happy. There couldn't be more, right? Well, in the final minute of stoppage time, Sizoko crossed it into Komen. He hit it well with his right foot, but his shot clattered the bar. And at full time, it was France 3, Switzerland 3. That means for the second consecutive game at the Euros, a team had taken a 1-0 lead, went 3-1 down, then brought it back to 3-3 to force extra time. What the hell is going on here? In extra time, Coman crossed the ball in from the left. It fell to Pavard and it took a good save from Sommer to prevent the goal. Pogba played the ball through, but Mbappe absolutely scuffed his shot into the side netting. After extra time, it was still France 3, Switzerland 3. For the first time at Euro 2020, we had a penalty shootout. Gravanovic stepped up first for Switzerland and tucked his penalty away. Pogba replied with an emphatic shot into the top corner. It was 1-1. Shah tucked it into the right corner. Shiro replied with a cool penalty, low and to the right, 2-2. Akaji managed to wrong foot Louise with his his penalty and stuck it into the net. Summer was narrowly close to saving Taram's penalty, but it just got past him, 3-3. Loris got a hand on Vargas' penalty, but he hit it so hard it went in anyway. Kimpembe slammed the ball into the top right corner to make it 4-4, so it was sudden death already. Mendy tucked the ball into the bottom right corner. Mbappe stepped up for France. His shot was to the left and saved by Sommer. After a second to check far, the save was legal. Switzerland beat France on penalties 5 4. Would you believe it? The world champions out of Euro 2020. So I have to confess that after that penalty shootout, I did a lap of honour around my living room. Like England had just won the Euros. What a win for the Swiss. What drama switzerland missed a penalty in the match then managed to win a penalty shootout it's like the most unlikely situation ever really this was probably one of the best days of football i've ever seen two games over 240 minutes and 14 goals spectacular stuff some were saying that croatia spain was the match of the tournament for me this one tops it maybe that's because of the unexpected result or just how nail-biting it was to watch from a neutral perspective France didn't show up apart from that 20-30 to 30 minute spell of magic around the hour mark. After that missed penalty, they took their chances with a double from Benzema and that wonder strike from Pogba. But how on earth did they throw that away? Switzerland should have been dead and buried at that point. As for Rob Page, who was complaining the other day about how many miles Wales had to travel for their matches, well, Switzerland had to travel more miles and beat the world champions. So stop the excuses, mate. Switzerland were brilliant. They just went for it. Zuba was a great threat down that left wing. Xhaka added a few more zeros to his price tag with an epic performance in midfield. He was basically the N'Golo Kante of the game, even though N'Golo Kante was actually playing. Seferic was strong in the air with his two goals. I thought their manager lost it when he took Shakiri off when they were 2-1 downs. Like, what are you doing? That's a stupid move. But it proved me wrong. He proved me wrong completely. Gravanovich got that all-important third goal and it was definitely right to take Rodriguez off as I wouldn't have fancied him to score in the penalty shootout. France got it wrong tactically in the first half, Deschamps switched to a 3-4-3 formation and Switzerland were able to exploit it. Another dodgy day at the office for Varane. France couldn't cope with the ball in the air, it seems a lot of teams are struggling with this at this tournament. When they changed their shape after half-time, things really improved. It was, it was a really rough day at the office for Mbappe. While he was involved in creating two goals, he won't remember that, he'll just remember the penalty miss. Perhaps this tournament shows he's not invincible and will have difficult periods of his career, so it'll be interesting to see how he reacts to this. Overall, a deserved win for the Swiss, who face Spain next. Yes, the two teams who both won thrilling matches face each other in the quarterfinals. That could be amazing. Perhaps it would even top what we saw on Monday night. I can't wait for that one. In goes the free kick to Calas. Front against the ten men, a big goal from Thomas So we move to the Netherlands versus Czech Republic. The Netherlands got nine points out of nine in Group C, with wins against Ukraine, Austria, and North Macedonia in Amsterdam, but they had to travel to Budapest for their last 16 tie with Czech Republic. The Czechs started Group D well with a win against Scotland, but a draw against Croatia. Then Croatia leapfrogged them into second place in the final game, setting up this tie with the Dutch. Would the informed Netherlands continue with their stylish attacking play, or would a surprise be on the cards? Schick had a deflected shot that went into the hands of Stecklenberg. Barak had a chance, but De Ligt brought his shot with a tackle. In the second half, Marlin worked his way past the last defender. He tried to take it round the keeper, but Vlasic got his hands to the ball. A golden opportunity really for Netherlands to take the lead. De Ligt slipped as he struggled to deal with Schick. He handled the ball and was given a yellow card, but VAR sees a yellow card and upgrades it to a red. After the referee saw the video replay, he sent De Ligt off. A massive blow for the Netherlands, as De Ligt has been one of their top defenders in the tournament. Now they'll have to play the rest of the game with 10 men. Corfel crossed the ball into Kaderabek, and Dumfries pulled off a great block to prevent the goal. There was a free kick to Czech Republic from out wide, Barak crossed it in. Callas headed it across goal to Holles, who headed it in the net. 1-0 Czech Republic. It was shocking, but it was coming. Holles won the ball and went past two Dutch players. He played it back to Schick, who put it in the left corner. 2-0 Czech Republic. And Schick's fourth goal at the Euros. It finished Netherlands 0 Czech Republic 2. Well, who saw that coming before this match? The Netherlands really weren't at the races here. They didn't create anywhere near the chances they had in the group stages. They still had a good spell in the first half, but only really one clear-cut opportunity in the entire match from Marlin. I still fancied them to win until Delik was sent off. That was undoubtedly the turning point in the game. Delik came back from injury after the Netherlands conceded two against Ukraine, and without him, the Czech Republic could really exploit the holes in the Dutch defence. And speaking of holes, it was a man called Holes or Hollas, as it's pronounced, who did the damage. He won star of the match as he got the first goal and set up the second. Czech Republic played well even before the sending off and it made it difficult for the Dutch to gain control of the game. De Ligt will probably be regretting that handball. Who knows what would have happened had he not handled it. Maybe he wouldn't have gone in. It's a disappointing end to the tournament for Netherlands who had a good chance of getting to the final had they won here. Now this side of the draw becomes really open. Czech Republic will face Denmark in the quarterfinals in Baku and what should be a very exciting match. He did really well. He did exceedingly well. Chiesa for Italy to break the deadlock in extra time. They have found a way, and it's the substitute Chiesa. So, Italy were one of only three teams to finish the group stages with nine points out of nine after wins against Turkey, Switzerland, and Wales in Group A. Austria were the best performing second place team with six points out of nine following wins against Ukraine and North Macedonia. Italy went into the match as favourites thanks to a 30-match unbeaten streak. Could Austria somehow put an end to the Italian's dominance? Spinoza crossed it in, it ended up at the feet of Barella and his low shot was denied by the outstretched leg of Bachmann. Immobile had a shot from distance and it hit the woodwork, it was a lot closer to going in than Bachmann thought it was. In the second half Alaba's free kick went over the bar. Sabitzer's shot was deflected and just went wide. Fun aside, my PC wanted to autocorrect Sabitzer to sanitizer, very of the times that reference. Liner crossed it into Alaba, he headed it on to Arnautovic at the back post and the ball went in the net. But hold on to your horses there, pal. Va, 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 va. The decision went to VAR and you could see after Alaba flicked the header on, Arnautovic was in an offside position. Therefore, the goal was disallowed. It was still 0-0. At full time it finished Italy nil, Austria nil and that could only mean one thing. The first extra time at Euro 2020. In the first half of extra time the deadlock was finally broken. Spinoza crossed it into Chiesa, he brought the ball down with his head, had a lovely shot with his left foot and put it into the net. 1-0 to Italy. Insigni played the ball into Immobile, he battled to keep the ball and passed it to Pessina who stuck it in the bottom corner 2-0 Italy and it looked like it would be enough to send the Italians through. In the second half of extra time, Schaub had a good low shot from range, but Donnaruna's outstretched hand denied the goal. A corner came in from Schaub, Kaladschitz headed it at the front post, and it was 2-1! Did Austria have enough time to get an equaliser? No, was the answer, as it finished after extra time, Italy 2, Austria 1. Very much a case of the super subs for Italy, as both Chiesa and Pessina were brought on in the second half and came good in extra time. Even the Austrian goal was set up and scored by a substitute. I did start my own Tears for Fears-inspired chant for Schaub in that extra time period. Schaub, Schaub, let it all out. We're already seeing the impact that five substitutions can have on extra time in this tournament, and I expect to see a lot more goals and attacking play in the additional 30 minutes as we go forward, and we did see that in the Spain-Croatia match. Italy had the better chances in the first half, but couldn't make them count. Austria probably had the better of the second half and got a little unlucky with the the disallowed goal. Credit to Austria who made Italy battle for a win, which I thought would be pretty easy. I predicted a 2-0 win to Italy, but I had no idea this game would involve extra time. Italy didn't seem as impactful as their group stage matches. Is it a case of better competition, or did they lose a bit of momentum after all the changes they made in the game against Wales? I guess every team at these tournaments has at least one wobbly game, so to just get past that one is vitally important. Hazard, striking from distance, Torgan so Hazard, what about that, glorious Belgium lead in the built-up big box office clash. And When he gets the ball here, look at the space in front of him, out of his feet with one touch, and he just cuts across it, slices it, and that's what put the bends on, see the goalkeeper takes a step to the right, and by that time he's past him. One of the ties of the round of 16 on paper had to be Belgium versus Portugal. It's a team ranked number one in the world by FIFA against the reigning European champions. Belgium's route to the last 16 was simpler of the two teams. They got past Russia, Denmark and Finland with three wins out of three. Portugal were drawn in the group of death and their defeat to Germany in the second match proved to be costly as it meant they finished third place instead of runners-up on head-to-head record. It was a match billed as Lukaku versus Ronaldo. Which of the big stars would shine brightest on the night? There was an early chance for Portugal. Renato Sanchez played the ball through to Diego Jota, but his shot was wide of the mark. Ronaldo had a free kick. His curling low shot was saved by Courtois. Menue had a shot for Belgium from the out- with the outside of his foot, but he couldn't quite curl it in the net. Menuhay laid it off to Turgan Hazard and he hit a thunderbolt, a whopping strike from outside the box and into the net. Some questioned Rui Patricio's positioning, he was probably too near near his front post, but the swerve made it tricky in fairness. 1-0 to Belgium. In the second half, Kevin De Bruyne had to be subbed off due to an injury and Mertens came on to replace him. Ronaldo played it into Jota in the box, but he skied it over the bar. Sanchez crossed the ball to Jao Phoenix, but he could only head it straight at the keeper. Fernandes took a corner for Portugal, Diaz had a good header in the box but it was straight at the keeper, anywhere else and it probably would have gone in. Things got heated as Pepe took down Turgan Hazard with a rough challenge, he was booked for that but luckily he didn't get sent off. After the ball came back to him, Guerrero had a lovely shot but it hit the post, Portugal denied again. In the 87th minute, Eden Hazard went off with an injury as Car- and Carrasco came on to replace him. There was a 1-2 with Joao, Phoenix and Silva. Felix had a shot but it just went wide and it ended Belgium 1, Portugal 0. Belgium were perhaps a little lucky to get the win here. They didn't dominate the game by any means and on the balance of play, Portugal were probably the better side. It seems like all the teams that cruise through the group stage are struggling a bit now in the knockouts. But a win's a win and it keeps Belgium's hopes of finally winning a trophy alive. It took that wonder strike from Turgen Hazard to make the difference. It seems like he's had more of an impact in this tournament than his brother Eden. I think the Belgians defended well. they made it difficult for Portugal to get many clear-cut chances. I thought Lukaku did a good job at holding the ball up at the other end as well. It's a disappointing end to Euro 2020 for Portugal, I think the tactics of Fernando Santos might be to blame. Portugal seemed to be more threatening when Fernandes and João Phoenix came onto the pitch, so maybe they should have started. Ronaldo seemed a little alienated up front you could see he was getting frustrated when he was coming back in midfield to pick up the ball there are some big concerns for Belgium going into their quarterfinal match against Italy as De Bruyne and Eden Hazard are both out with injuries the strength of the Belgian squad is really going to be tested I think De Bruyne is a bigger blow than Hazard we saw what impact he could have on the game when Belgium played Denmark if he's not fit for the last eight it could mean the difference from them staying in the tournament and not They've had a tough they've got a tough route to the final as well, they've got to face Italy next. So there's no doubt if they win, they will deserve it. Currently they're the only team with four wins out of four, so it looks good from a stats perspective at least. So the quarterfinals finals are as follows. Switzerland will play Spain in St. Petersburg on Friday at 5 p.m. Belgium face Italy in Munich on Friday at 8 pm. Czech Republic versus Denmark is on is in Baku on Saturday at 5 pm. And England will face Ukraine in Rome on Saturday at eight PM. So Bad WWE Stats said on Twitter, just listen to your last sixteen podcasts, and I can confirm you're not Nostradamus. An Italy victory over Austria should be academic was my personal favourite. It's fair to say my predictions went a bit wrong last time, at least from a score point of view. But I did correct four out of seven, so that's not bad, right? It's better than half. Four out of seven of the winning teams at least. The score's rubbish. So for my quarterfinal predictions, I'm just going to pick who I think is going to win because I think the way it's going, the scores could be absolutely anything. So I think Spain will beat Switzerland. It should be a good open match with lots of attacking football. The Swiss could exploit their aerial threat as Spain weren't very good at dealing with that against Croatia. It's going to be close, but I think Spain. Belgium versus Italy. Well, Hazard and De Bruyne are out because of injury both teams that looked a little wobbly in the second round but on paper this is a de facto final the winners will definitely be the favorites to win the whole thing and i'm going to go for italy czech republic versus denmark should be another really good game both have been great at going forward in the last few games i expect denmark to have the upper hand quality wise and therefore i think they'll progress to the semi-finals there is a potential for another euro 92 situation and in England versus Ukraine, I think England will go through. Um, I do think it'll be a more difficult game if the Danish do get to the semi-finals. I think that might be the problem for England, but I think fingers crossed we'll be alright in Rome and England will get through to the semi-finals. So thanks for listening to this special live edition of Years of Hurt, a Euro 2020 podcast. We'll be back after the four quarterfinals as we reach the final eight teams. Who will be going home with a trophy? I have no idea at this point. Remember to follow us on Twitter as we'll tweet along with the quarters at Heroes. From me, Richard Carey, it's goodbye.